Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be discussing Wes Anderson's latest film, Asteroid City. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question, what is your favorite Wes Anderson trademark? Uh, I'm Lucas Wright, and my favorite Wes Anderson trademark is, um, I love the fact that he like continues to contrast children who are like mm. desperately wanting to be adults with adults who are you know continuously acting like children. I just don't think, I, I few few directors are dealing with children nowadays. In general, I think it's just easier to talk about adults and make adult stories. And I think Wes Anderson's kind of obsession with childhood, um, I think is one of my favorite trademarks of his in all of his movies. That is such a great point. Yeah, if you're telling stories about the world, like children are a big part of the world and, and yeah. should be included <laughs> in those stories. Yeah. And all of his children, yes, are like precocious and ridiculous, but also like real, like he takes their emotions seriously. Yeah. Um, which I don't think a lot of filmmakers do. Yeah, I love that. Well, I am Sandra Amstutz, and it's such like a cliche, easy gimme one, but my favorite Wes Anderson trademark is his use of pastels. I love bold, colorful choices in filmmaking, and I hate films that are muddy and brown and gray or blue, <laughs> you know, just... Yeah. I, I want color. I want to be wowed. I want the Wizard of Oz. I want, you know, I want to be, I want a spectacle when I see a movie. And um, I love that Wes Anderson brings like those playful pastel colors to his films um, and, and that he makes color choices at all. I just, mm -hmm. it, that's always just, it makes those movies beautiful. It makes them interesting and it sets them apart. Yeah. I think one of the, like, I feel like most directors are trying to be realistic in the movies that they make. And so for someone who has never tried to be realistic is always extremely theatrical for him to make such great uh, deci decisions around visuals and color and stuff like that is something you can only do um, in a movie that you're not trying to be realistic. And he's, he's killing it every single time. Yeah. You know, when I was thinking about this, about like color and film, it mm -hmm. made me think of like, how like La La Land, you know, is yeah. it obviously there are fantastical elements to La La Land. It is a musical, but like all they have to do is like put people in like primary color dresses and like that's, mm -hmm. you know, adding this bold color choice to a film. And that's not that fantastical of a thing to do. Uh, right. <laughs> and so I just wish more movies would, yeah, take advantage yeah. of that. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, we're going to talk more about Wes Anderson and all of his um, trademarks and his latest film in a minute. Before we do that, I do want to know, Lucas, what are you feeling this week? This week, I am feeling Black Mirror Season 6, which dropped on Netflix um, a week or two ago at this point. Um, but I kind of 
With Black Mirror, it is not something that I binge ever. It is always something that I'm going to watch one episode, sit and think about it, maybe come back a couple days later, watch the next episode. Um, the show has always revolved around um, kind of technology and not necessarily the harm of technology, but how we end up using technology for bad things. Um, this, If you don't know anything about Black Mirror, it premiered in 2011. Um it, it started out as a British show um, that then Netflix acquired. And so ever since season three um, has been produced, both kind of it's, it feels more like it's been an American and British co-production. Charlie Brooker, the show creator, I think has um, an inherent dark, I think, sensibility to him. Um, and so all of his stories definitely tend more toward the darker side, which I know is not everybody's cup of tea. But there are episodes throughout that I think, um, if not are... F- more fun to watch but also just have a more i think a, a deeper sense of um humanity um that i think more people can can get into so i'm trying to remember have you watched any of black mirror i feel like we've talked about it before i've like watched the ones that everyone raves about you know what i mean yes. when, when someone is like when everyone talks about one particular episode yes. i'll i'll tune in for that i've seen the san junipero episode um Mm -hmm. i've seen the one from season one where you can replay memories in your eyes yeah you know entire history of you yes um i've seen the john ham christmas one um Mm -hmm. i think that might be it that i've watched that's how i would recommend most people watch this show is dip in for the episodes that that you hear a lot about that that people rave about Mm -hmm. um i think the later seasons have been more hit hit or miss, but there's always, I think, one episode that's just like really touching or really interesting to think about from a technology or media perspective. Um, and so I have a list of, <laughs> of episodes that I always recommend to people. But for season six, which just dropped, um, I would recommend watching the first episode, which is called Joan is Awful. Mm-hmm. Um, it stars Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek. Um who discovers that uh, one of the streaming platforms um, has launched a new pre- like prestige drama um, adaptation of like her life, and so every day that she lives um, is getting broadcast. Basically, mm. not not of it's, they're not filming her; they are making a drama out of it. So like Selma Hayek plays her <laughs> in the drama of it, um, and it's just a very interesting look at. I think one of the things that in the later seasons Black Mirror has started to look at is our consumption of media, like mm-hmm. in addition to technology, it's not this, you know, future world or anything like that. It's just how do we consume mu- media? How do we as a world create media? Um, and what does that do to our psyche <laughs> and our sense of selves? Um, I think this episode is a lot of fun. It's really interesting. I don't think it's um, in, you know, the, one of the best episodes of black mirror, but it's one that kind of gives you a vibe for this is the, these are the kinds of things that black mirror is interested in. So overall I enjoyed um, season six, but I think, think Joan is awful it, for me is the standout episode. That's good to know. Um, you know, when I think back on those standout episodes, I feel like what makes them good and what makes any kind of movie about a big futuristic te- technology interesting to me, I think of a, a movie like Her or Eternal Sunshine mm-hmm. of the Spotless Mind, right? Where it's the technology aspect of that, that's part of the pitch, but this—it's not really what the story is about. The story is often about like you know two people dealing with a relationship, which is of yeah. course you know what I'm usually the most interested in in any movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But those particular standout episodes, I think, understand that concept. You know, when I think of the entire history of you, 
the technology is interesting, but what made that episode so fascinating is like the drama between the main two characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what stuck in my mind. Not so much like the technology of it all. Definitely. And same thing with San Junipero. I mean, that's a love story that people like really clung to because like the chemistry was so great. And so I love the concept of Black Mirror because I love like thinking of how technology will change and impact us in the future. But as long as like they don't make that the the sole focus of the show, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um I will just read out my recommendation of of episodes to watch Please. if you are interested in this kind of thing but not interested in like the darkness that you know is inherently in a lot of these episodes. Um in series 1, um episode 2 and 3, which are 15 million mer- 15 million merits and the entire history of you. Uh so 15 million merits was my introduction to Daniel Kaluuya. He's the star of that mm, one as cool. a little baby face. Um it's it's very good. I think it's one of the better episodes um of the whole show. Um, in series two, we have episode one, which is be right back. And then episode three, the Waldo movement, they have foreshadowed a lot of the stuff that's happened in our world already. I mean, even, you know, in 2012 or whenever that came out, the world has changed so much that now watching those, you're like, oh man, you really predicted a lot, (laughs) a lot of what our world would be talking about now. Um, and then the the white Christmas, which is the, um, John Hamm special. Um, and then, in series three, I would recommend the first episode, which is Nosedive, um, which uh, is Bryce Dallas Howard. And then f- episode four, which everybody recommends, San Junipero. Um, in episode four, I would recommend – or sorry. In series four, I'd recommend episode one, which is the USS Callister. And episode four, Hang the DJ. And then in, epi- in season five, I would recommend uh, Striking Vipers, which is the first episode. And then in se- series six, uh, we're on to Jonah's Awful again. So I think those are ones that I think everybody can get into. It's They're very interesting without being overly dark. I love that I have this like at my fingertips now as a list that I can refer to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are other good episodes throughout, but those are the ones I think that uh, every I know everyone can handle. Perfect. So. Perfect. Okay. Well, um, and all seasons are are still on Netflix. Is that still yes, the, the... they're all available on Netflix. Okay, good to know. Good to... You never know in the streaming age. I, everything is <laughs> so... bouncing around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Lucas. I appreciate yep. it. Um, so this week, what I'm feeling is uh, a returning season of a show that I know both you and I really loved. And that is season two of The Bear on Hulu. It, yes. it came out last week on Thursday, I believe. And um, the the one thing I will say about this is that they made the decision to release the entire season all at once and not pace out the episodes. I have an infinite amount of positive things to say about this show. But my one negative thing that I will say is that I wish this show had released on a, you know, either weekly or, you know, parse it in, like, multi-episodes each week. Mm -hmm. Um, Spread it out a little bit instead of just dropping the whole season at once. Um, Just because this is the show is so good, I think it would have been even better if it could have been savored. Um, But that being said, I couldn't, you know, just savor it because I needed to watch (laughs) every single episode right away. I watched the entire season in one sitting essentially um because the show is so 
so good. If you wow. um, did not tune in for the first season of The Bear, it is a show about um, a chef who has come home to his family's restaurant after his brother has passed away. And he is kind of trying to pick up the pieces in his um, in this restaurant that is falling apart. Um, at the end of the first season, um, they decide to move forward and close down the restaurant and try to start a brand new restaurant in the same space. Um, and so that's what the second season of this show is about. It's about this chef and all the people that he works with and his family members trying to um, rebuild and create something new and something beautiful um, all while, you know, catastrophes happen and people, um, relationships fall apart or come together. I loved the first season of The Bear. I thought it was so, like, beautiful and funny and fresh and new. And I think a lot of us had really high expectations for this second season because the first season was so beloved. Yeah. Um, this second season... It blew any expectations I had out of the water. <laughs> it, the hype, sometimes you hear a bunch of hype online for something and you're like, Sh- I, I, surely it can't be that great. Like I need to, you know, be a little bit more realistic. The hype is so real for this show. This second season, I'm a, I had as much love and admiration for it as I did like this finale season of Succession, which you know, was building to something so huge. Yeah. I just can't say enough of good things about this show. Um, I, I Have you seen The Bear yet, Lucas, or the, the second season of The Bear? I have not started watching the second season yet. Um, I am extremely excited about it. <laughs> I feel like one of the things that I, like, I've heard everybody just say it's amazing. Uh, I can't wait for you to watch it. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like you can't have a conversation around it because it's not week to week. Like, if it were week to week, I know. The, I feel like the the hype would even, would be even higher because you could, you're like, you're talking about every single episode as they come out. Um, and now it feels like everybody is, is pumped about it, but you're going to move on to the next thing next week. It's so frustrating because there are so many aspects of this show in each episode that if this was coming out week to week, like things would go viral on the internet, like jokes would be shared, people would be talking about each episode, but because it was all released at once, I think people don't want to spoil others, and so yeah. they're holding back like what they're what they're talking about and what what moments really stood out to them um and that's really frustrating. I keep like searching Twitter for like little morsels of people, you know, tweeting about this show and it's very limited still. Um, but one thing that I can say is since, um, I have seen the whole season and you haven't seen any, um, here, I guess here's my question first. When you watch it, do you think you will binge the entire season all at once? Or do you think you will, by your own like viewing habits, kind of watch a few episodes at a time? I think we'll probably watch a few episodes at a time. I think 
it will i think we'll want to binge it but but i just think like especially with a show that i already know is good right like going into season two nobody knew and so i kind of had this perception of like i really hope it's good and you won't know how good it is until the end so now that i have that now that enough people have said like it's amazing you're gonna love it i feel like i can relax and just take a step back and watch a couple at a time okay so here's what i would say um since you gave me a breakdown of, of what Black Mirror episodes yes. watch, I'm going to kind of give you a breakdown of what, like, what episodes to pair together. You know, what okay. what are good, like, breaking points. Um, I would say to do either, um, you know what, I would actually say, let me hear, I'm looking at the episode track list because yeah. I'm, cha- I'm changing my mind now looking at it. Okay, here's what I would recommend. I would recommend episodes one through four as your first binge. Um, those are all approximately 30-minute episodes, so that's like about a two-hour binge, right? Yeah. Pretty, very doable. Then, if you need to take a break, then I would watch episode five and six together. Um, what I will say is about a sl- very slight spoiler that I will give is that episode six is a big episode. It's an hour-long episode, um, and... It's it's the big one of the season. It's the one that everyone's okay. talking about. So you'll want yeah. to like really make sure that you're at a place. Like don't like <laughs> don't put episode six in the middle. You know, like yeah. Yeah. Um, either start with it or end with it. In, is what I would say. Yeah. Um, then I think seven through ten, four episodes that are all um, thirty to forty minutes each would be another yeah. great chunk. So one through four. Five and six, and then seven through ten is what my recommendation would be. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Um, you could also do, actually, now that I think about it, you could, here's an, here's, that would be plan A. Here would be plan B. Okay. <laughs> if for All some right. reason, like, your schedule doesn't allow for plan A. Yeah. One through four again. Yeah. I think five, six, seven would also be good. I know yeah. I just said don't put yep. six in the middle, but. <laughs> I'm changing my mind again. Right. Five, six, seven would be good. And then eight, nine, ten would be good. Okay. Yeah. One through four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten would also work. All right. I can't wait to like to tell you that I watched this one and two and then three and four <laughs> and then five and then six, seven, eight. Sure. And then nine, ten. Sure. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. It's so good that truly you can watch it any way you want. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing I think people just should know going into it is that six is a big episode. And okay. that you ready. it's an hour long because I think if, again, if you get into a rhythm, you think these are 30 minute episodes, right? You should just know that that one's not a 30 minute episode. Yeah. yeah. That um, makes sense. It's killing me that I can't talk about the specifics with you. <laughs> it really is because there's so many details about the show. I want to really get into, um, yeah. I will say, have you been spoiled for anything? Nothing. Nothing. Not oh, thing. that's so good. It's great. Um, God, I'm I'm just dying. Um, it's it's incredible. It's just really incredible. Another thing that I find really interesting about this show is that, like, I think technically they're still marketing themselves for awards purposes as a comedy, and I yeah. would say this show does not read. It's it is funny, but uh-huh. in the way that Succession, Succession is, is not a yeah, comedy, exactly. this show is not a comedy. Um, I've also heard people compare this season to Ted Lasso in that 
this this seems what Ted Lasso was trying to pull off in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, a show about, you know, uh, that's dealing with, like, mental health issues, um, that's dealing with found family. It's a workplace comedy. You know, a lot of the similar themes. Um, but this one is just pulling it off with equal amounts of, like, drama and talent and, like, you know, I can't filmmaking as well as heart. One thing I l- that makes this show so special is that I think the first season, there were a lot of episodes where things were so tense, right? Like everything's yeah. falling apart and you're like so stressed out for these characters. This second season, there are scenes like that and there are episodes like that, but the overwhelming um, vibe of the season is just like, these you just love these people they're you have like this you're so endeared to them they i think are ge- the characters are gentler with each other this season in yeah. a way that is just so lovely and but still feels very realistic i think you watch something like ted lasso and you go yeah i mean that's nice but obviously this is not real you know like right. This uh, a professional soccer team is not treating, you know, like they're not all having <laughs> sleepovers with each other. Um, and this is like gentleness and care in a way that feels very real. Um, I just I, I, I just love it so much. It's easily like tied with succession for like, I can't imagine any TV show being better than this this season this year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait to watch it. OK, I'm. The, the hype is unreal at this point. Well, as soon <laughs> so. as you do watch it, maybe we'll come back for like a spoiler-filled talk because there's a lot yeah. to discuss. Yeah. What is it? You're either in or you're out. Right now. Um. Okay. Well, before we move on to our Asteroid City conversation, I wanted us to bring back a segment we haven't done in a while, which is... In or out, where we discuss trailers and we decide whether we are in or out on seeing that film. Um, I'm bringing this out for one trailer in particular, (laughs) solely because I am obsessed with this trailer. And that is the trailer for the movie coming out in the summer fall um, called Challengers, directed by Luca Guadagnino, starring Zendaya, Mike Feist, and Josh O'Connor. Um, it is a tennis romance, sexy comedy thriller. Unclear <laughs> what maybe the genre itself is. Yeah, I say comedy because I've heard Luca Guadagnino describe it as a comedy. Um, but this trailer is about a um. A tennis star, you know, love triangle. And I saw this trailer and I lost my damn mind when I saw it. <laughs> it's a good trailer. I've watched it. I, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've watched it. I replay it over and over. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Lucas, I'm obsessed with this trailer. Um, we've talked before about how like there is an art to the editing mm-hmm. of a trailer yeah. And I think that this one is so well crafted to get you pumped for this movie. Um, what was your reaction when you first saw the trailer? Uh, I just smiled the whole time. I <laughs> I feel like 
we've been saying Zendaya is a star for a long time. Yeah. Um, we haven't been able to see her as an adult star at this point like she's played young people like not children but this is the first movie where i feel like you are a movie star as an adult now yeah um you are actually (laughs) like people are coming to movies for you um and i'm excited about it i think she's incredible in this trailer i think mike feist is it feist that's what i thought yeah mike i think mike feist and josh o'connor are fantastic in this um I can't wait to see this movie. I I don't love movies where the same actors play themselves at two completely different ages. Mm. If the actors can't pull that off, I think this is something we talked a little bit about in past lives where I think they did it really smartly, like really delicately also the different time periods that they're in. Yeah. I'm curious how this movie is going to handle it because apparently they're playing teenagers and um, people in their twenties, thirties. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. That's, that's something that, uh, is, is my one little like niggle with the film. Yeah. But we'll see how they pull it off. That's an interesting point. I think in the trailer, you see like the two versions of themselves, right? Like, so mm-hmm. it's not like they're hiding, like what the younger, like how they're going to, what the look will be right. for each of them. Right. Zendaya, I think pulls it off. Like Zendaya is malleable she she can play like a teenager she is playing a teenager on euphoria and i think she can pull off like the chic glamour of playing like an adult sophisticated woman Um, i think she pulls it off the best but in the trailer again you're just seeing kind of what she looks like in both roles not necessarily like how she comes across and i really want to i'm excited to see it sure Sure. The, the other two, I can't imagine those guys playing teenagers. Yeah. So it's very, it's just kind of difficult for me. I, I have more faith in Mike Feist at least yeah. playing a, like the the dopiness and the shyness of a teenager. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we'll see. Um, yeah, we'll see. I'm just excited. One, I love how this trailer moves. Like it is a fast paced trailer. Um, I feel like I can I can feel Luca Guadagnino having fun with the camera in this yep. film. I, I'm excited mm-hmm. for um I'm excited one because there's so many things I'm excited about. I, I like I'm just brimming with excitement for this movie. Yeah. I'm excited yeah. for a sports film. I love sports Me movies. Too. I was I was gonna say that as well. I, I feel like we don't get any sports films anymore. I know. The way there's a shot in this trailer where like the camera is like spinning with the tennis ball, mm-hmm. um, like things like that get me so hyped up. Um, I really am excited to see Luca Guadagnino take on like the action of a tennis match. Yeah, um, and I think tennis matches are hard to film. Like I, mm. in, in my in my view, it's one of the harder sports to show on screen unless you have actual athletes like playing these roles because it's so physical and it's so obvious when you're bad at it Yeah, just, just by your, just by your movements, you know, like you can tell someone is bad at tennis. Like if you're not just seeing the result, like you're not seeing someone swing, hit a ball and it go over the net. Like you're seeing them actually make these movements. And no matter what you do in editing, showing where the ball goes, you can tell that's, that's bad versus that's good. Yeah. In the trailer, in the trailer, it looks great. Like in trailer, they look like they can, they can play. So I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I'm also excited because one, I think he picked a really great tennis is like a really great arena for this kind of film because I Mm -hmm. do think tennis stars are like some of the sexiest athletes, you know, in general. Um, (laughs) I would say, I would say like tennis and soccer, there's like a, 
I don't know, the, the build that you have to have for those sports, I think like, there's a leanness to them, yeah. but yeah. like a strength that I think is very sexy. Um, All right. And mostly I'm just excited to like bring sexy movies back. <laughs> You're saying Luca Guadagnino is bringing sexy back. I, he is. Because <laughs> I have so much faith in him to bring like eroticism to film. You know what I mean? Um mm-hmm. I there I keep bringing this up. It's come up online about how like like where is the sex and film these days? And when I say that though, I don't always just mean like sex scenes, like nudity, like people right. having sex on camera. You know what I mean? I mean like an eroticism to the film. And I think the master of that lately has been Luca Guadagnino. Um so much of his work is so, so sensual. And I'm excited to see a movie that, like, is doing that on its face, too. You know what I mean? Like, this trailer is selling right. a yeah. sexy love triangle. Yeah. Um, it looks so fun. And I just, I'm thrilled. I think it also has, like, a, a cutting sense of humor that is going to be really, really fun. I, I, this is my most anticipated movie of the year now. Like, hands <laughs> down. It's overtaken yeah. Barbie. Yeah. I'm I'm beyond beyond. Well, that's that's a, that's a feat for sure. Sure. Um, what's it? What's the release date? I think it's in September, okay. which is a nice time of year. You know what I mean? It's clear, like there's kind of a lull. I feel like in September. Um, yeah. So it'll be a welcome entry. Um, yeah. What have you? I'm trying to think of like, what's your familiarity with Luca Guadagnino's filmography? Like what, what have you liked? What have you not liked or not seen? The only movie of his that I've seen is call me by your name. Okay. Um, I have not seen, seen another one. I have wanted to see a bigger splash. Um, his movie from 2015 for like a long time. Um, and just ended up never getting around to it, but that's it. I think you would like a bigger splash. Um, I really liked it. Uh, I, Saw Suspiria, and I wouldn't recommend that you see it because yeah, it is yeah. scary. But I did think it was like really cool. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen Bones and All yet. Yeah. Um, but I did watch his HBO show, um, which was called We Are Who We Are, hmm? and I loved it. Um, Good. So I just I I he's becoming really important to me, and I I can't wait for this next film. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, well, now that I've gotten my chance to, like, rant and rave about that trailer, <laughs> are you ready to talk about Asteroid City? Let's do it. So, Asteroid City is Wes Anderson's latest film in, uh, you know, a very famous filmography. I- I'm very curious, Lucas... What's your relationship to Wes Anderson? I feel like there's always been like the film bros who are super into Wes Anderson. Yeah. Um, in a way that like I really appreciate, but I'm never that person. <laughs> I like a lot of his movies. Um, I think one of the things that's been difficult for me is his kind of perceived emotionlessness approach to a lot of a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. I think I go to movies for the feelings. Um, and I think a lot of his movies have a lot of feeling. Um, I just think he kind of puts a little bit of a of a film, you know, not not to be punny about it, but <laughs> over that those feelings um, in a way that, that feels more affected. Um, I think some of my favorites of his are obviously like the 
you know, the classics, Grand Budapest Hotel and the Royal Tenenbaums. Um, I think I appreciate and like every single one of his films, though, mm. which is a, a hard thing to do. I sure. Think he has so many films, and for me to feel that way about every single one of them, um, I think is impressive, while not me not fully connecting with all of them feels like more of just a taste thing rather than a quality thing. Yeah, you know... Ge- gearing up for this um, film, I-, I feel like a lot of people have been saying it's like a return to form. It's Wes Anderson at his most Wes Anderson, and right. um, it's had it had me thinking about how, like, okay, what ha- which movies of his do I like? Which ones do I not? And then when I really sat down and like looked at his filmography, I realized that I had only seen three of his films. Whoa. Yeah. But his style and his filmography feels so ever present that it feels like I've seen (laughs) all of his films, you know? Um, But I think I've only seen um, Royal Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Wow. Yeah. That's shocking. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, Somehow I just haven't made time for the others. And I liked all three of those that I watched. And so I think I I consider myself a Wes Anderson fan because the ones I've seen I've liked, but I actually haven't seen that many. Um, And so um, how were you feeling coming into Asteroid City? I think I was coming in excited. Coming off the French Dispatch, um, I I would say that's bottom half Wes Anderson for me. Mm -hmm. I think I love the vignettes. I love kind of how he... (laughs) frame within a frames every single thing in his movies and just the maximalists of his movies is always so interesting to look at totally um but i think the french dispatch as a set of short stories kind of fashioned off the new yorker felt again even less emotional than (laughs) um, some of his other movies so for me it felt like this is a fun this is an extremely fun interesting well done piece to watch um i just didn't connect with it as much gotcha um And so I, but I didn't, I don't think I had any big expectations of this one other than to know that it was, all right, we're back to a full story. But again, all of his movies are stories within stories. So his framing devices are beyond ridiculous. (laughs) Um, So you always end up with more than, than kind of what you expect going in. But I was excited. um, But again, just open and ready. Yeah, I was, I had really high hopes going into this because I've been hearing like the the best buzz from about this yeah. movie. Um and I kept thinking like, oh, you know, the last time I think I saw a Wes Anderson movie was Moonrise Kingdom and I was so charmed by it. I was really like really I felt that movie was really special when I saw it in theaters. Yeah. Which was quite a long time ago. When how long ago was that? Moonrise Kingdom was 2012, so over a decade. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a long time ago. Did he make What did he make? Oh, Grand Budapest. Grand Budapest, Isle of Dogs, and then The French Dispatch. Right. Yeah, he's I guess he has made things that I just have opted out of. Um yeah. that being said, I would love to like reclaim the charm of what I felt in 2012 <laughs> at, at Moonrise Kingdom. So I was really yeah. excited going into this. Um how ultimately Lucas what is your reaction to this film I really liked it um I think this is the one I've reacted to the most positively since Grand Budapest probably um I think one of the things that I was surprised by in this is how much I love Jason Schwartzman which we've already we've talked about recently how good he is but I think in a Wes Anderson movie it's about the 
the entourage, about the entire cast that he's playing with more than a single character. And I think this is his most um, focused movie on one specific character. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, you have a massive cast, blah, 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 all those things. But to have the the emotional core and center of the movie focus on him, um, I thought he was great. I thought um, this movie, again isn't the most affecting thing I've ever watched, but for Wes Anderson, I felt like this was uh, <laughs> a little peek behind the curtain on, on kind of the things he's feeling with it all throughout like COVID and everything like that. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed this movie a lot and I'm going to, it's one of the ones that I will revisit often, I think, mm. um, which I don't with most of his movies. Yeah. Um, I wish I could be there with you because oh, no. <laughs> I was really disappointed by this movie. Um, I think this is a victim of a little too much hype that I was hearing, you mm-hmm. know, ultimately. But I sat watching this movie and there was so many things about it that I did like. Um, I think this movie is very funny. I, yep. you know, like the times when it tries to be funny, it succeeds. I laughed throughout, you know. Yep. Um, I think that there are a lot of really wonderful performances in this film, and there are some yeah. that, like, blew me away. I was riveted, you know. And like you mentioned earlier, I love his maximalist style. Like, there's so much to look at in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, and that was really great. But this movie is very long. It, or at least it feels very long. Interesting. It, to me, it felt so long. It felt like this movie would never end. <laughs> and I just kept thinking that, like, all of these individual things that are working so well are not mashing together into a complete thing that makes me love the complete thing. Um, it's like a bunch of individual great performances and a bunch of funny moments does not a movie make for me. <laughs> um, it just, it was, it, it also made me think when I was watching it, it also, it, really what it did is it made me question whether I actually liked any of his previous films that I've seen. Um, oh, interesting. It made me wonder like, oh, did I like those movies because I was like, 23 years old you know yeah yeah um and if i revisited moonrise kingdom and you know royal tenenbaums would i roll my eyes at them now or would they (laughs) still feel like special you know pieces of art that i loved um i think it made me just question like maybe Wes anderson is just not for me maybe the meta-ness of it all is you know a little tiresome for me yeah, I, I didn't connect to this one, even though, like I said, there's I have a lot of good things to say about individual aspects of the film. The the whole didn't work for me. Got it. Yeah. I think yeah, I I think it that makes sense based off what you said. I'm very excited to talk about the specifics of all of it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um do you have do you have any favorite aspects or part of the film? I think for me a, a lot of it is the cast. I mean, he works with most of these people all the time, but he's always adding to his like stable of of, of people that he he pulls from totally i think for me this movie besides jason schwartzman um i think some of the standout things that i was thinking the the standout performances that felt new to me was steve carell Mm -hmm. um steve carell's fantastic in everything he has a very small part in this but i just think he plays it so well and it fits so well within the wes anderson um you know kind of universe totally (laughs) 
Um, I was just like, man, this guy's so good. I love him and everything. <laughs> um, the second one was, uh, what's her name? Uh, Maya, Haw- Maya Hawk. Oh, yeah. Maya Hawk is so good in this movie. She plays a, a teacher just kind of barely hanging on. And <laughs> I thought uh, she's just like perfect casting for this. Totally. And again, someone that I, I I feel like we know because she's been in some stuff, but also because of her parents, um, that her kind of doing something very different with a Wes Anderson movie um, felt awesome to see. Um, and I thought she was perfect. Has Uma Thurman been in any Wes Anderson movies? I don't think so. I feel like she'd be a perfect fit. I feel like both Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman like could work really well in a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. Um, but just they haven't. Sure. So I'm also surprised by Ethan Hawke being a Texas guy that he hasn't ended up working with. That's a great point. At all. Yeah. Um, but then last but not least, Scarlett Johansson. Like she was truly amazing in this. Yeah. Um, and I feel like getting I I positive that some of the the character itself is just built on her um but just getting to play someone who she doesn't get to play ever in in most of the things she's in so i i really loved her performance a lot i was blown away by scarlett johansson in this movie like she is the thing that like when people are like this movie's incredible i'm like oh you meant scarlett johansson is incredible she's so good in this movie so good yeah (laughs) i think you know even though she is like a mega movie star I do think that we undervalue Scarlett Johansson as a as an actress, as a performer. I think um, we miscast her. That's a great point. Often. No, that's I a... think she's like the go-to for any like sexy strong woman. Kind of is is kind of the Sure. The, that's that's what what she gets typecast as. Yeah. Um and she can just do so much more. <laughs> so. Yeah. But I think of like her performance in Marriage Story, um, yeah. her performance in I didn't like Jojo Rabbit, but she's really, really good in Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Um, she's she is really special. And I, I do think you're right that like people I think are blinded by the sex appeal. And she's like a really, really intricate performer to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Yeah, so I loved I lo- she's like the thing that stood out to me the most in this film. Um yeah. I I agree with you about Maya Hawk. I found her to be like just like the perfect chemistry fit in this universe. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I also, I mean, I love him in everything, but I loved <laughs> seeing Tom Hanks here. That's true. Yeah. They don't introduce him as like I mean, Tom Hanks is one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Yeah. And for him to be in this movie, you would think his character would be, like, the most powerful or a man who gets introduced in a way that, like... Or it's know, just a cameo. Or is it, Yeah, or it's just a cameo, like some of the other roles in this. But he has a real role. It feels very um, honest, but also in a way that, like, Tom Hanks, one of the biggest movie stars, is playing this guy. And it's amazing to see. Yeah. Also, culturally, you know, Tom mm-hmm. Hanks has held the role of, like, America's dad, right? Yeah. And I really loved seeing him transition into America's grandpa. Right. Um, yeah. I, you know, he I think he fulfills that role really, really well. And Definitely. seeing him being, like, an emotional, grieving grandfather in this film really tugged at my heartstrings. Um, yeah. I... I, I, I Tom Hanks and Scarlett Johansson were like the ones that really caught my eye. Um, there's a bunch of like smaller performances in here that I think are mm-hmm. great, but those are the ones that I walked away with like being wow. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I do want to talk more spoilers with you. Is there anything else you want to say before we move to spoilers? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, then let's talk spoilers for Asteroid City. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? 
Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's gonna happen. No, crack and gas. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. I do want to say, I do. I want to start off just by saying that, like, you said this felt very long to you. I think Wes Anderson, to me, is one of the most concise directors in that he, I don't think he's made a movie over two hours long. I think every single one of his movies are, like, between an hour and a half and, like, an hour 45-ish. And I think what ends up making his movies feel long is the framing device of doing chapters. Right. Or do it, in, in this movie, it's doing the play and then showing this is act one, scene one through three. And then this is like all of the title cards for everything, I think stretch out this movie a little longer than it actually is. <laughs> sure. And one thing that I will confess is that the AC wasn't working at full blast in my oh. movie theater. Um, and it's really hot in Tennessee right now. So that definitely played a part, I would say. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um but I, I think it's one of those things where if I was, like, really hooked into the movie, that, that I wouldn't have minded that. You know what I mean? Um, so the length, me saying it feels long, is mostly just me saying I never felt hooked. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's ultimately yeah. my main complaint. And I think for me, it's always been, like, the hook is me getting immersed in the story. Mm-hmm. And I have never felt immersed in a Wes Anderson story because he keeps cutting it up because right. he keeps stepping back a level to look at the story that you're that you're watching from you know from the person who's writing it or look at the story from the per- people who are playing it and like that i feel like always creates a little bit of a boundary between you and the the story itself yeah another performance that i i just wanted to call out was um Ethan Josh Lee is the actor, played the character of Ricky. He was one mm-hmm. of the stargazers that was, like, the Asian kid that was, like, anti-authority. Yeah. Um, I was so charmed by that performance. Um, yeah, he was great. The Like, the movie I do think is very funny, but I laughed the hardest during his scenes, ultimately. <laughs> yeah. I loved all the kids in this. Yeah, I think the kids are great. Just did a great job. And I think one of the things that really got me was like in this this world where they are a bunch of geniuses come to a stargazers like this competition thing. Yeah, like, scholarship thing. Scholarship thing where they're they're, you know, showing off their inventions and stuff like that and just like kind of the joy of childhood and yet the scariness of life. Yeah. <laughs> in that, like watching them play that out. Um and even in this time where there is an alien, but they're quarantined here and everyone can talk. All anyone can talk about is, you know, the alien. They use their, you know, their technical genius to make a phone call out. But it's not to, you know, uh, it's not like a cry for help or to tell the world, you know, what's what's going on. It's so that he can contact his local paper. because yeah. He's got the scoop and <laughs> or yeah. his school paper, his school paper. Right. Not even his local paper. It's just like the smallest of um, of things you could do with this incredible amount of brain power that you have. Yeah. <laughs> and so and it's just that childlike wonder that I thought was this is very fun to watch. Um I totally get not being pulled into the story as a whole. I think, again, one of the things that Wes Anderson really shines at are these little vignettes. And so the little conversations that really, I think, hit me hardest was um, Winston's conversation with the Tilda Swinton character about, like, maybe he can come work for her in the future. Mm. And, like, all of this is at his disposal. Like, she recognizes how good he is. Yeah. um, His goodness and just his his aptitude for... uh, connecting on the same things that she's interested in, I thought was just a, a 
perfect view of mentorship, but also just this very sweet moment in this movie. Sure. Um, another one is the kid who keeps daring. Yeah. Uh, everyone or, or asking people to dare him when it when his father just asks him is like, "What is this? What's going on?" And his very kind of blunt, just like he wants to feel seen and yeah yeah he just wants to feel seen and then it it immediately goes into a joke but just like these small interactions that happen throughout the movie of people just unsure about where they are in life and what you know is life worth it what is life actually in this you know (laughs) feeling lost in the world um and then feeling known by the people around you i thought worked really well for me in this movie again i i see that it didn't you know, coalesce as a single story, but all of these little vignettes, I think, mattered to me a lot. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. Like, there there are, when I think back on it, there are so many moments that I was so charmed by. And maybe it's just, I was a little bit annoyed with how, you know, I visually I like the maximalism, but, like, his movies are, like, maximalist in every sense, right? Yeah. Like, they're, it's like, yeah. <laughs> um, I just... If things could have been just a little bit more streamlined, just a little less <laughs> all over the place. I think the the play framing mm-hmm. really took me out of the story and like had me going back and forth. And in a way, uh, there were scenes like where I was like, "Am I stupid? Like I don't understand what's happening here." You know. <laughs> um. So I think that was my biggest frustration. Yeah. Um. I. I, I I totally get that. I, I think for me, the writing, because it, it's three stories. It's the writing of the story, the production of the play, and then the kind of the, the, the play itself. Right. Um, and for me, I think the writing level was the one that I kept getting lost on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I 100% agree with you there. Yeah. Um, oh, the three little sisters that were like little witches. Oh, yeah. Loved so that. good. And I loved um, uh, Tom Hanks's interactions with yeah. them, you know, because he comes in as the gruff grandpa. Um, but then for him to take them seriously, like <laughs> like this is kind of their way of grieving and him just kind of lean into it and say like, OK, I'm with you in this. I just I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, totally. Um, I think. Jake Ryan, the actor that plays the eldest son, he's wonderful. I, you know, he has been, he was in eighth grade. He has like that special Mm. scene in eighth grade that I think is so great. Um, what else has he been in? It was in Moonrise Kingdom. Yes. Um, and then he's been in a lot of other things, but nothing that like, I would say you or I like, right. am really super into, um, Mm. He's someone that I can't wait to see how his career develops. Um, yeah. I think he's he's a really special actor. Um, and then I think we we definitely need to talk about the Margot Robbie scene. Yes. I loved it. Yeah. She's <laughs> really good. <laughs> it's funny because early in the, in the movie, they have the photo of Margot Robbie. And me not knowing she was in this movie, I was like, that's hilarious that they used Margot Robbie's photo mm. as like, this yeah. is my dead, this is my dead wife. Yeah. Um, but then for, for her to play the actress who plays his dead wife and have that, that little conversation, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was so well done. Um, and it's, that's, that's the part that really, for me made it feel like, okay, this is why you have the, the putting on the play mm. level of this right. story. You know, I think I would have been, I think you're right that like that makes it worth it. The the putting mm-hmm. on a play framework. Um, if it had just been like, like beginning, middle and end, you know what I mean? Like 
you open it with that framework. Sometime in the middle, you, you kind of zoom back out and you realize, oh, that's right, this is a play. And then at the end, you zoom back out again. I would have loved it. It was the constant zooming out that that really yep. messed with me. Yep. Um, but I do agree that like that scene and like that su- the surprise of that scene works so well. Um, again, like it made me think like, wow. I mean, Margot Robbie is. I don't think she's undervalued. I think people are like mm-hmm. recognize how incredible she is. But it also it still takes me by surprise. Like, wow, Margot Robbie is. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. She's she is in addition to being a movie star, she is a great great actress. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I loved I loved that scene. I loved that was the point. The scenes with Tom Hanks and the little girls and that scene are the are the ones that made me think like, okay, this is a movie about grieving. This is a movie about loss, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it I wish I felt that throughout the whole thing. I hear yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I'm interested he- I'm interested on like how you feel about this on like second watches because I do I can't imagine f- like appreciating it more on a second watch even though like I was initially disappointed with it. Yeah. I feel like all of his movies I've wanted to revisit and knew that I would get more out of it the second time through. Um, I just think some like Isle of Dog for me is kind of near the bottom of the list. Still a movie that I liked, but at the end of being like, is there much that I actually want to like revisit here? Whereas this one, I'm like, I will watch this a bunch of times because yeah. <laughs> there's a lot that I'm sure I missed. There's a lot of depth, I think, to some of the like, again, one of those once you know the end, how 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 many different themes can you pull back to the very beginning? Totally. Um, on a rewatch. So I am excited to see it again. Yeah. Um. Do you think that this movie is going to make your top 10? It might. Yeah. Um, I think at this, again, because it's so new, like as a Wes Anderson movie, I feel like I have to think about this for hours and hours and hours before I'll know like really where this film lands for me. Um, I feel like a lot of people like I can rank their filmography as soon as I come out of the movie. All right. I liked this one more than this one. Right. Uh, But with Wes Anderson, it's, there's too much there. Nice. Okay. Well, is there anything else you want to discuss about Asteroid City before we send off? I don't think so. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Oh, you know what I'd like to do is just kind of give a quick recap of what our July is going to look like on the podcast. So um, for anyone who listens to every episode, you've made it to the end of this one and you're like, yeah, I'm a dedicated listener of of feeling it. Um, (laughs) You might have realized that we typically try to release episodes every other week. And this one is coming out um, a week after our last episode. Um, Lucas and I have decided that for the summer, we're kind of just going to focus on the films that we're the most interested in and askew our regular schedule. Um, so this is going to be, um, our last episode in June. And then in July, um, we are going to cover Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I've never heard anyone call it Mission Impossible 7. <laughs> I, when, you know, I don't even know if yeah. the 7 is in the title. but I, I don't think it is. We're, we're covering Mission Impossible. We're covering Barbie, of course. And then we're covering Oppenheimer. So those are the three episodes we're putting out in July. They might be all back-to-back because those movies are all getting yep. released back-to-back. So just to be aware that July might, you know, you'll get a lot all at once and then... We'll, you know, be back in August. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but so that being said, we'll see you in July for Mission Impossible. Um, Lucas, why don't you tell people where they can find you online? Yes, you can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. And you can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yeah. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 